It's still a trial within a trial to establish the admissibility of the confessions by two of the accused. More police officers have taken the witness stand and they all insist the accused were never assaulted at any points of the arrest or detention. The accused, however, are adamant that they were beaten, suffocated and tubed to sign confession statements that were already written. But how do you prove your assault before a court of law? That and more in this week's installment of Above the Law, the Senzumeiwa Trial, with me, Khomuza Mudise. It has been a rather eventful week uh, this week in the Meiwa Trial. A lot has been happening in the Pretoria High Court. Of course, um, it is still the trial within a trial, and that's um, still being heard in the Pretoria High Court. It is a time where really the admissibility of the confession statements, or I should say alleged confession statements by two of the accused are being, is being determined in the Pretoria High Court. The court has before it arguments um, from the state so far, um, you know, around why these statements should be admitted as evidence. Um, And of course, the defense is going to be challenging this. But currently, we've just been hearing the state's case. And yeah, it's been uh, an eventful week or so. I'm going to remind some of you what's been happening in the Mayua trial over the last few days. So as I said, it's been the trial within a trial. So it is a process where the Pretoria High Court is determining the admissibility of confession statements by two of the accused. That's namely um, with Gaukulelwa, Sibia and Mongani Ndanzi. These are the two men that have uh, made those alleged confession statements. One before what we would call um, a justice of the peace, um, that is a police police officer um, and the like, and another before an entire magistrate uh, legally represented by his lawyer. Um, and that was what we've heard this week to be a man by the name of Advocate Dominique Mjiago. And the court is hearing uh, the state's case from the police officers that were either part of the escorting, were part of the uh, actual witness or, or confession statements that were taken. And the court has been establishing this week what exactly happened in this process. And if there's anything out of the ordinary or anything untoward to, you know, result in the actual confession statements not being admitted as evidence. Now, the angle or the tactic that I believe um, that the defense is taking is to really question the admissibility of these statements through, number one, the allegations of assault against the men. Um, the, the, the the two men in question here. But number two, also questioning the legality or the lawfulness of the actual arrests. And um, this is, I think, the, the, the angle that the defense has been taking throughout the week, pointing holes in whether or not the arrest was lawful, pointing holes in whether or not the detention of the men was lawful, pointing holes in whether or not um, the men were actually assaulted and whether they were forced and coerced to make those witness statements. We know that according to South African law, the Criminal Procedure Act is very clear about what type of a confession is admissible. And the number one um, criteria is that the statement should be made freely and voluntarily. The defense, or rather the state, is arguing that the accused actually made these statements freely and voluntarily. The state has painted a picture through their witnesses of accused that were more than happy to make these confessions, saying the accused seemed free, they seemed calm. 
I mean, something funny that we heard this week was how Ubongan in Danzi had allegedly spoken about how uh, he was actually a dancer, uh, an Isi Zulu traditional dancer. And this spoke to just how comfortable um, he apparently was during this time. And so the, the States is going with painting this picture of people that were really you know, willing to make these confession statements. But of course, the defense has come back to say that the allegation is that they were beaten, assaulted, coerced, tubed, um, suffocated to even make these confessions. And as a result, they want these confession statements not to be admitted and to be thrown out. Of course, this is a major deciding factor um, in the state's case, it will make a world of difference whether these statements are admitted as evidence or not. I can tell you now that if these confession statements are admitted as evidence, it will make the state's case that much easier to prove because we'll have people that have had have admitted some sort of culpability, that have admitted some sort of uh, guilt. Um, and that's the that's really at the at the heart of this. If these confession statements are taken, we understand that these confession statements are not only um, incriminating to the accused themselves um, or the accused in question, but to all of the accused. And while the law is very clear that confession statements can only be used uh, to prosecute the, the the person who took the post of the statement, it really will be the details in those confession statements are likely to corroborate a lot of what the other police officers are saying and that is why this process is so important and so the trial within a trial is being held in the Pretoria High Court it has been what two weeks now I think we're going on to our third week of a trial within a trial and the state is really moving to the climax of its um, arguments here we have been hearing from the main guys this week members of the investigation team these are people that either took part in the arresting of as well as people that had the accused or that were present with the accused when they made those confessions that escorted the accused to make those confessions. We can see that the state's case is really taking shape. Melusi, good afternoon. I hope you can hear me clearly. Uh, I hope I can be heard right now. We can hear you loud and clear. That's okay. We're just glad to have you with us this uh, afternoon. Thank you so much for coming back on Above the Law, the Senzumiwa trial. Uh, we haven't had you on in a long time, and we are grateful that you were able to join us. Thank you. Thank you so, uh, so much, Komoto, and I hope we will all uh, engage. Um, but if I can just get right into it, because of time, what stood out for me this week? Can I start? Yeah, go uh, ahead. Okay, obviously we had the testimony of uh, who was then the, the constable, I think it's Constable Jonathan. And then we also had the testimony of, uh, I think it's uh, Constable Butelezi and Mohane. So what stood out for me was obviously these three witnesses, they have to give evidence to show that uh, according to the state, they did not assault, uh, do any tubing to both of accused one and accused number two. So uh, Advocate Ngomezulu, who I think, you know, by the way, his inclusion in this case, it has brought a little bit of stability for accused number one and accused number two. Um, he was just trying to put everything there on record that how the accused were assaulted when he was cross-examining. And I think, uh, Advocate Msholol, if you've seen how this case goes, um, even though at the moment it's not clear how the state confession are linking accused number five, she's trying her best to make sure that she also, you know, cross-examines how 
uh, and she tries to show that the police were not doing their job properly or that it's reading of constitution or, or showing intimidation to one of the accused um, in how they were, you know, they had weapons around them and so forth. So I'm interested in how Ngome Zulu and Mshololo um, work together in ensuring that, you know, they cross-examine as much as they can. Uh, obviously, Advocate Nisi and Ngomalo, they always don't have much questions to ask at the moment because the trial the trial is specifically for accused number one and two uh, for now. So what stood out for me was hey, the statement that was made on the 25th of October, 2023. Uh, no, no, no. I've, I've never seen that happen ever in my life where the, the person who's involved in the case as an investigating officer he will see how the trial, trial the trial is going, and then for some reason, but because you're in court, maybe you you clear that up. But what I got was he kind of saw that the statement that was given by that was written by hand cannot be seen, or then it was shredded or something like that. Then a type statement was made, a new statement which can be used to cover whatever loopholes were seen whilst a cross-examination cross was happening. So that was very strange for me. Remember, it's not the first time it's happening. We also had the same issue with Constable Zoom. There was a statement he made on the 30th of May, 2023. So I, 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 don't, know, I don't know how the defense will attack that, but when they raised that, I think it was on Thursday, the judge says, no, um, you'll obviously deal with it, or it was uh, Advocate Balu said, you'll obviously deal with it in cross-examination. So I think they have to really deal with uh, Constable Mohan. By the way, that statement was made by Constable Mohan. And then the other thing was, I think it's Rapadu. Is it uh, Colonel Rapadu who took the... Yes, that's right. Yeah, who, who took the confession of accused number, um, accused number two, the first one. one. Accused, number, accused number one. So... Rapadu, uh, Colonel Rapadu took the confession statement of, and this is at Morocco, right? Uh, he took the confession statement of accused number two, Bongani Dante, yeah. the first confession statement at the Morocco police station. So what is interesting for me on that one is um, he he says he, 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 he agrees. Please call. All right, so I think we lost Malusi there, unfortunately. He's been uh, pointing out for us what's uh, uh, stood out for him in the week that was. But just to comment on that statement that he's speaking about that was actually deposed and signed on the 25th of October 2023. That was, what, a week and a half ago now? That statement by um, the Sergeant Musmuzi Mohane. Of course, uh, Sergeant Mohane is part of the investigations team. He has been working very closely with Brigadier Gininda. And his statement, his initial statement, um, was adapted into... Um, a typed statement, and the reason that he's given for that is that um, the well, particularly his statement was illegible. He says his statement was illegible and could not be seen anymore, and as a result, they decided to make a typed statement on the 25th of October. Now, the gripe of the defense on this is that they believe or they feel that that particular statement. Um, it can compromise or maybe compromise because it was made while the trial within a trial was, was actually being heard. And that means that additions to the statement could have been made or are, may have been made um, 
it means they're questioning saying, you know, um, we could be sitting here with a statement that was adapted or was edited to suit the narrative of the previous witnesses or to match the version of the previous witnesses. And so questions have been asked around the admissibility of that particular statement. It's important, however, to note that that statement has not been handed up at all as an actual statement to the court. Uh, A consensus was agreed upon and the defense agreed then that, um, or the state rather, agreed that um, Mohane would not refer to that statement anymore. However, that, that was interesting for me as well. I mean, um, I, I found myself agreeing with the defense at that point to say, how do we know that the statement before the court um, that was made on the 25th of October could have been edited? And I think that's what you were saying, Melusi, that the statement on the 25th, um, it, it's rather untoward, is it not? Yes. I mean, when we when we do a pre-trial uh, conference, um, just to explain to those who don't know, before we set down a trial date, we will get all the statements that need to be obtained that are in the docket or the docket copies. And then we will say we've got all the statements, we are ready for trial, we've consulted. And of course, we agree on the big issue, which, which is the financial issue, and we'll then set a court date. But we will not get statements within a trial or statements within a trial within a trial. It's very irregular. But I think, you know, when you're doing a trial and you're seeing some irregularities like this. That is where you set up, you put everything that you can as a defense attorney or as an advocate, and you set up things for an appeal. You know, once you get a sense that, I'm not saying the judge is biased in this case, but I'm saying once you get a sense that the judge must be biased, you just put everything, you know, everything, and you make sure that when you're able to raise it for appeal, it will assist your case. I think... That is what the defense must focus on. They must just put everything and have a long-term approach on this case because there are so many things that, you know, you don't understand. And the other thing that uh, came up that I, 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 I find very interesting so that I can allow others to come in, that's, um, is it Advocates Mochako now, the, the, the attorney? Oh, Umchiako. Umchiako. I've tried to search him. Yes. I've tried to search him on the net. I think there was Mchiaku that came up. He's an advocate and he's a legal advisor at SAPS. Very strange. Now that guy, they need to have that guy to come in as a state witness. If he doesn't come in as a state witness, he needs to come in as a witness that is called by, by the courts or he needs to come in as a witness that is called by, by the defense to come and clarify exactly what was happening because from June to October, if I'm not mistaken, he was in, he was he was the legal representative of accused number two, and there was a time when accused number two appeared for this case in October 2020, and I think he wanted to tell the court that this uh, attorney, I don't want to represent him because he's been telling me to confess. Now, our constitution says when you are going going to make a confession, um. Instead, or not when you're going to make a confession. When you are arrested or detained, you have a right to have a legal representative. Now, can you imagine a situation where you have a legal representative that wants or forces you to, you know, to to make a confession? So those are one of the constitutional irregularities that might stand out. But before our, I, I had to go out because of my technical issues, I wanted to comment on uh, Rapadu on the issue that, okay, he's speaking his baby, but there was a point where Adokem Shololo was doing what I was saying earlier, that 
the, the trend is or the strategy is Gomezulu um, crossing the mines. And then uh, um, Nisi and Mumalu, uh, they say they don't have questions most of the time. Then Sholelo comes and makes the killer questions at the end as well. So Sholelo focused on the fact that he actually explained to him that constitutional right. But there was a, a very important one, very important one. And I, I, I picked it up and I was interested in this. She said, did you tell the accused that one of his constitutional rights is that he's innocent until proven guilty? So that once he understands that, he understands that, oh, I don't necessarily have to make a confession yet. Or I don't necessarily have to say anything because I'm innocent. But if you don't explain that right to any other a person, especially a lay person, you kind of hide it away that the law does not necessarily need him to make anything that is self-incriminating. So on arguments, I think if the defense raises that and probably raises the there's a few cases, it will, it will be interesting how the judge will accept that because I'm of the view that the constitution, I mean, the confessions and the pointing out is very strange. But because of time, let me just pause for now so that we can all engage. No, I think that's really interesting that you point out that particular, that particular um, right because the conversation that's being had currently in court is whether the pro forma, which is the introductory doc- document to the actual statement, has the adequate number of rights or the adequate rights listed there to be explained to a suspect. For example, I didn't know that according to uh, the Constitution, um, one may have or it may be explained to one that you are entitled to a doctor or you are entitled to some sort of medical attention. And that only came up in the cross-examination of the Constable Jablani Butelezi from the JMPD who was um, uh, part of the escort, but he was also the arresting officer of Muzga Kulelwa Sviya. And so the defense is really attacking the actual pro forma before the court saying this pro forma doesn't have all the rights that are necessary to be explained to uh, a suspect, especially when the suspect is ready to make a confession or says they would like to make some sort of a confession. I want us to move now, Melusi, quickly before we actually open our mics. And I, I want to invite our listeners. I saw a couple of you already making or requesting to make your own contributions. What do you make on that surprise statement made on the 25th of October by an investigating officer in this particular case? Do you think it's dodgy? Do you think it's untoward that a statement is made last week while the trial within a trial is ongoing? Do you think it may be that the um, there may be additions or alterations to the actual statement? And then, um, I mean, also the issues around um, the particular rights. The defense is really going in hard on the rights that were explained to the accused. Uh, Melusi, help me here. I am really interested in this Mjiako person because the, the initial... Or we initially heard about Umjiago, Dominic Umjiago, as a lawyer um, from the magistrate Cronier, Vivian Cronier, who told the court that, you know, Bongani Ndanzi was represented on that day when he came to testify. And he was represented by a lawyer by the name of Dominic Umjiago. We then heard from the interpreter who corroborated this saying, there was an interpreter. Uh, there was a legal representative present in that office. We then heard from the escort police officers who said they saw a man in a suit who was there with um, uh, with Bongani Danzi, and they assumed that was his lawyer as well. This week, the next step was made in that 
the uh, sergeant was Muslim Wakhani, who arrested Bongani Danzi, but also traveled with him from place to place before he made his confessions, said that actually Mjiako was not Bongani Danzi's lawyer only in this particular matter, in the Meiwa matter, but he also represented Danzi at a previous matter in Poking, where there was, a, I believe it was a, an illegal, illegal possession of ammunition and drugs case. What do you make on, of that? I mean, can Danzi distance himself from this lawyer anymore? Look, I, I think, to be honest with you, we must always look at things at both sides. Obviously, one will question the, the way that the investigation has happened. But I think also, Tanzi and his team have not really sat down and looked at things in detail. Where if you if you go to um, say this is not this was not my attorney, I mean, and then it comes out that he might have been there in certain cases. It doesn't really assist you because if He's there on the 24th of uh, June and then on his court appearances. Remember, there's a video that was played where Danz was saying, this attorney, I would like to, um, I would like him to withdraw from, from, from representing me because he's been forcing me to confess. Now, what does it tell you? The strategy should have been, at least they should have said, yes, Mchiako was there, but he was not doing his proper job. You know, he, he actually failed to protect the accused because he actually was the one that was advising him to, to confess. I think that would have been a better strategy than to just say they don't know him. There was no attorney. It, it's going to be problematic. And I can tell you this, and I, I, I wish there are, there are some few attorneys or advocates here. There's no proper thinking advocate or attorney, no matter how the evidence looks like, who will say, you know, uh, you know, just confess. You know, if if he's, he does criminal law and he's not even experienced in criminal, but is passionate about criminal law and the constitution, you will not allow your client to confess from from the word go. Because if you go to a case of Arvises Becker, I've forgotten the year, but it's obviously an old case because it starts with R. It says a confession is where an accused makes an admission to the crime unequivocally, but that particular confession is the same thing as making a plea of guilty in court. So when you are doing that as, a, as an attorney, you kind of like want to say, no, let's look at the evidence first before I tell you to confess. Rather, let's go to court, get the docket copies, you get bail. And if you can, can't get bail, we, we prepare for trial, but let's get the docket copies first. So there's no proper thinking attorney or advocate will say confess. Hence, I'm saying maybe the strategy should have been Let's attack the main person who's the attorney and say this person was actually not doing his job as if he was sent by a particular mastermind. Obviously, they would point to Kininda. I'm just saying it might be their situation. They would point to Kininda and say, no, Kininda was forcing or was working with him to, to come and assist the state to assist the state to get the accused to plead case. Because if you do your research on, on Giaco, just one second, he's actually seen somewhere working as a legal advisor for SAPS. Can you see the link there? If that is true, because the Mshiaco that I found, he has a link in being an advocate, he has a link in being a legal advisor for SAPS. So we want to know exactly, was he a real attorney? And they should have used that to say, there was a certain person who appeared to be an attorney and was forcing the accused to, to plead guilty. And somehow he's linked to the SAPS. So the problem with criminal law, 
just give me one more second. The problem with criminal law is when you're defending a person, you must also do your investigation as a, as an attorney and obviously have resources to have your private investigators to get all this information so that when you attack uh, as an cross-examination, you have all the information. I think that's this is what might have lagged in this Chiago situation. Yeah, uh, interesting. That's the same Jaco that I also found um, that has links or ties with the SAPS. That's the only Dominican Jaco. I, I believe is it Dominican Tantam Jaco? I believe, or um, I will corroborate that right. name. But there is only one Dominic, yeah, Dominican Jaco that I found. Um, and maybe the defense will whip that card up in the future in there when they make their case. I think it's important to remind our listeners that the trial within a trial works like a normal trial. So once the state has completed with its case, then the, the defense will have the opportunity to make its own case. All right, so it's time now to open our mics to you, the listeners of Above the Law, the Senzo Mewa trial. Um, request to be a speaker and let us know what stood out for you. Are you sold? Are you convinced in this trial within a trial that these statements were made freely and voluntarily? Or does it? Uh, does are there some questions in your minds about what exactly could have happened in this particular instance? Are you uh, at all doubtful that um, the men were assaulted as they claim to have been, um, or do you believe that the state has done its work freely and fairly and the men um, decided to confess out of their own volition? Um, request to be a speaker, and I will allow you to be a speaker. You can ask your questions to um, our commentator for the week. This is our uh, legal mind, Melusika uh, Gulu, who is has been helping us on Above the Law over the last few weeks as well. Uh, quite a bit that's been happening in uh, in the sense of we were trial in the Pretoria High Court. I want to ask you, Melusika, before I read a comment here, how do you prove that you've been beaten? As uh, a particular victim in this case, or if you yeah. are a suspect, how do you prove that I've been beaten, especially if you are in police custody? I mean, I know that the state or the court rather would want some sort of proof. They would want someone, a witness of some sort. They would want a doctor's note. They would want maybe a case to be opened with iPad that you mm. had instructed your attorney to open a case with iPad against the police. But are there real practical ways where people can and have proven Sorry. that they've been beaten by police? Yeah. Okay. Can I come in? Yeah. yeah. I once did a case in in, in the northern part of KZN, where my client, I remember, if I remember correctly, he was arrested for possession of a firearm, but not ammunition. So it was in the district court. So... He told me that they assaulted him before they found a gun in a, in a rendezvous. And I was so happy that, okay, now I've got the strategy. But I didn't have proof that he was assaulted um, because there were no injuries. What they do is they assault you in a way where it cannot be clearly visible if you're assaulted or not. So we went in, we did the, the, the pre-trial within the trial. And the only problem was I was crossing minding on how he was assaulted. The police denied. But... Unfortunately, when he came on the box, he was not as smart. He said he was not assaulted. So we, he ended up uh, losing on the trial in the trial. Fortunately, there were some technical issues and we ended up winning the case. But the second case I did in the very same court was where the witness, who was not a police officer, he said uh, Sambamba, one of the accused, in his Zulu, he said, 
Yeah, obviously, he didn't know this un unlawful. He thought this was a good thing. Then I told the court, no, your worship, we'd like to do a trial in the trial. My clients were assaulted. The police didn't come for the trial in the trial, so technically they won the case. So we were lucky that, that the witness, in fact, mentioned that they were assaulted. So it's very hard to prove. I don't want to lie. I mean, one will say, no, I was assaulted. I think accused number two, when he did an interview it, I eyewitness his, his father, in fact, he said he was put in a fridge. Uh, so I was interested on that version being put. Um, so they will strangle you, they will tube you, or put the plastic over your head. So you can't prove that in court. You can't prove that. But if you are lucky and you have injuries, it, it can help. I, I'm currently doing a case where my client was, you know, assaulted in such a way that he couldn't walk. And when we did a bail in November 2021, we did put that on record. It's just that we can't get the JD8, but we do have a JD8. So if you have a JD8 and you are assaulted, and there's a proof that on JD8 is a doctor's report when you have been assaulted and you want to use it in court, that that can help you. But if you don't have that, it's going to be difficult. But you can't just allow people to say you, you, you confessed voluntarily. So you're obviously going to say you were assaulted, but it's hard to prove if there are no And that links me, that links me to my. Yeah, and it leads me to my next question because surely it's not enough that the defense just comes and puts their version on record and says, according to my client, you're the one who had the mm. plastic bag, you're the one who covered his face, someone else punched him, then they stopped wherever and this happened. And it's surely, surely that's not enough to win a trial within a trial. In comes Mugomezu. I'm, I'm such a fan. Uh, he's so calm, he puts the version, but he also pokes the holes. And I think. When we he, he was introduced for Cronier, wow, you know, when the record was was striking out, it showed his experience, and I I I I, I believe in Ramasipele's um, potential in his, his professionalism, but I felt for the first witness on the trial in the trial, he just put a version, and that was not enough, you know. So that is up to the attorney or the person representing you. You see, cross-examination is a gift. Some have it, some have to develop it. So if if you're going to have a, a case like this, it's not just putting a version. It's about thinking on your feet and, you know, having a different uh, way of thinking and creativity and how you're not just putting a version but poking the hole. So I agree with you that just putting the version is not enough. You have to find something there and there. And that's why you get Mgomezul and Shololo coming in. They, they'll put the version, but they'll also show that, you know, certain things were not happening in the logical sense. And they'll, they'll put that and they'll make sure that, you know, it's clear. For example, I mean, come on, how can you record someone without telling them that you recorded? I was doing an interview with a certain... Uh, investigation I was doing for Emmons Palace. And we told them that we, we want to record you, but we want to record you. Uh, so you have your rights. If you want to, if we record you, we'll tell you. Now, the problem with that, I wish we could have a topic about constitutional rights in Section 35. I mean, the problem with that is that we have a magistrate who does not understand the seriousness of constitutional rights, but that's just a topic for another day. So I'm saying putting a version homoto is not enough as an attorney. You need to think on your feet. Unfortunately, when you, you, you get a case, you have you inherit the case as, as, a, as, a, as your own problem, but you have to be also creative enough to find solutions 
that the client does not know. All right. Yeah, we hear Melissa Kulu saying that he's a fan of Advocate Sulanim Gomezulu. Are you a fan of Advocate Sulanim Gomezulu as well? Do you think that he's made a world of difference for this particular trial as he has been cross-examining for um, accused number one and two, Bongani Danzi and Muzgao Kulela Sbia? It's important for us to state that um, according to Ramusebele, Mgomezulu has just been brought in to help with the trial within the trial. Uh, but I wonder if he'll decide to keep him on for the actual trial as well. That, right? This is your opportunity to make your contributions. This is Above the Law, the Senzo Mayua trial with myself, Komoto Mudise. I'm the lead reporter for Eyewitness News and you can find my reports on 702-947 and if you're in Cape Town on KFM as well as Cape Talk. I see a comment here. Um, someone saying... If the confession one and two are accepted by the court and they implicate the rest of the accused, that, that does that mean the case is over? Are they guilty? That's an important question, uh, Melusi, because um, we know that in terms of confession statements, they only um, they can only be used to con- to convict the actual person that deposes of the statement. No, is my is my understanding correct? Yes, there is that that uh, can be used for that, but sometimes. That's why I was I found it strange. What happens is if you're going to make a confession, you're gonna make a deal. I'm gonna to confess to this. That's where the smart lawyering comes into place. When Giaco might have should have at least played that ball instead of just allowing the confessions to go on if they, that's what happened. You make a deal and you say, I wanna confess. I'm gonna implicate these guys and I wanna be a witness as well. So you confess, you go and plead guilty in high courts or in regional court, depending on the, where the case is, and then you get your own um, sentence, probably a sentence that is not as high because you negotiated. And then you're going to be a state witness. And then you're going to be able to link this co-accused that you have in your case. So that was what I was expecting. But in this case, you see that the confessions were made but there was no deal you know it's very suspicious but what happens is in the confession remember although it's not entirely related that much remember i just made an example where i had a case where the accused um when we did a trial within a trial we lost the trial within a trial like we lost it but we still went on with the trial and you find some loopholes within the case and we won that only thing is if you lose a trial in a trial whether it's a, a state or it's a defense, it just makes your case a little bit difficult. So the confession might be a problem, but I, I really think if the confession stands, it's going to be a huge problem for the defense and it's going to be, you know, um, it's going to be guilty, unfortunately. Uh, but at the end of the day, whether these five accused did do the crime, just one more second, or they did not do it, we just want justice. If it's this guy's, then it's this guy's. But we need to make sure that if they are case, it needs to be based on fairness. The, 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 their constitutional rights should not be violated. And I think once that is proven that their constitutional rights were, were violated, it, it, those confessions and not pointing out should not stand. Right. So just to be clear, so if these confession statements are admitted and they implicate all of the others, that does not necessarily mean that there will be a clear conviction, right? The trial still goes ahead and the confession statements are only used in the case to convict the people that actually made those confessions. Yes. Um, for example, we still need to, to hear 
Kelly's Kumalo, Kelly Kumalo's, uh, although they said they will not call her, uh, long way. I saw a concerning page. I, I don't know if you also confirmed if it was him. As the, uh, he was, you know, in a very strange position. He was walking in the street like he's dealing with some problems. So he also needs to be called as a witness. They still make a period. So the court would have to compare these confessions and the other witnesses that still need to come in place. But like I said, if this confession stand or the pointing out, although I have few issues with, with all of these three issues, because uh, I think it's actually it's three confessions and one pointing out. But if they stand, it's going to be a huge problem for, 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 for the well, accused number one and accused number two. And in a way, it's going to make a case a little bit difficult for accused three to five in how they are they are linked to the confessions. But technically, if there are te other technicalities, they, they can still win the case. All right. So I'm going to invite you to make your contributions. I know that many of you like making your contributions at the very end of the space. And then we have to extend or say, OK, quickly go. So make your contributions now, please. If you have any questions or any comments, anything that stood out for you, you have seven minutes to make your contributions as we wrap up now at uh, five o'clock. Um, Melissa, just talk me through. I mean, what we're expecting this week is that we're expecting two more members of the investigations team. Uh, we're expecting Sergeant Mohola, Batu Mohola, who will take the witness stand. She was the uh, one of the arresting officers, um, but she, I believe, of accused number one, Musga um, Kulera She was together with Jablandi Butelezi, the constable from JMPD. But we're also expecting the main man of this whole thing, the investigating officer, the head of the cold cases unit of the SAPS, and that is Brigadier. Bongani Gininda, what are you expecting there? Um, I'm expecting the same, the same line of cross-examination. I put it to you, my client was taken from this police station, he was assaulted there, he was taken there, he was tubed. After they've testified how they people or to the police, they took the confession or the pointing out, if it happens, it would be that. But I think once Gininda comes in, yo, there's a lot. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot that the defense has to put. And uh, they have, I mean, he's the mastermind, Humoto, you know. not I don't want to put it in a bad light, but he's the mastermind in collecting the evidence against the accused. So he's the key man. And, you know, there is, there is a school of thought that thinks he was bribed. And I'm saying this allegedly. I want to point it out allegedly. They're saying he was bribed by certain people that want to be protected. So the defense is going to be, you know, going crazy against this Kininda. In fact, all four, all four advocates, I'm expecting them to be participating in this. You can imagine if Advocate therefore was still in this case, or even TT, uh, they would have loved the opportunity to grill Kininda. So I'm expecting fireworks. I think... I don't know when this case is ending, but I think we're going to be dealing with the trial in the trial for most part of this year. And then if we don't get a judgment this year on that, we'll probably get it next year. So Kininda will take a lot of time on this case. Yeah, we are expecting Kininda to be on that witness stand for a very, very long time. I think that he will take us to the end of this particular year and then move us into the next year. And we'll start with him again, I think. Um, of course, this trial 
tentatively has been set down uh, until the end of November and then we return next year. But someone asking here about the lawfulness of the inclusion of the uh, Metro Police in the arrests. And I think it's an important question because the question was asked around the mandate of Metro Police, whether they can arrest or not. And the testimony that was given by the Metro Police officials is that they do have powers to arrest. But it's interesting that Gininda, although he's a um, SAPS um, a police officer, he made use of Ikuruleni Metro Police officers in everything that he did. 375 of 19. Remember, we have two centers of power in this case, of powers. The, the, there was a team that was pushing the 375 dockets that the people inside the house should be, I mean, inside the house at Spaza Shop or Wakumala should be arrested, uh, led by, um, I believe it's, is it General Telezi or Colonel Telezi? The, the, it's Wutelezi, the, yes. Yes, Wutelezi and Makubo, I believe. And Makubo. Um, remember, so there's that... It is that team. So I think, as you ask me that question, maybe the SAPS at the time might have been, you know, shying away from this case. And Geninda might have felt he should use at least the EMPD, some or JMPD, someone outside, um, someone outside from the SAPS. I think it might be that. But they are also working with the police in any case. But I, I think it, it might have been politics rather than a normal way of working. It has to do with something about having a different way of approaching this case. Yeah, it's interesting that you point that out because we do remember that there was that uh, particular point around how um, the it was Makubo and Butelezi who had particularly disputed any facts around this, saying that, uh, according to them, uh, at least accused number five had been in prison at the time. Uh, we also know that it was Makubo and Butelezi who had said they are certain that it's the people in the house who are behind this murder. So police themselves were particularly split on who to charge on the Mayo trial. I think the other thing that is interesting, we've mentioned this, was it this year, earlier this year, when we had our, 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 our space, is the fact that it's very concerning that you have a, a different approach in one case where the police are not agreeing in who the accused is. So when uh, Zungu was testifying, it came out that there was Makubu and Tedezi going the other way, I think Asosbia, and then Kininda came with a different approach. And they all have to come and testify during the trial. I don't think it will be in the trial, in the trial. So we are seeing a case where we're going to be dealing with the trial, but we're going to be dealing with the manner in which the trial in which the case was investigated. And, you know, I once mentioned the different platform quickly for one second, where I said, it looks like we are investigating the case with the state, uh, with the police and, and, the, and the NPA, whilst the trial is happening. Because how else do you explain that you have a, a, a statement that will be made whilst the trial has started? And you have a, a statement that will be made whilst there's a trial in a trial. It's like they're putting puzzles and trying to fit in puzzles whilst you know the game is going on. Um, while it, they should have been, fit, they should have fitted the puzzle before that the trial started. So you know it's a very strange way of how things are done, but it just says something about our current situation when it comes to justice, and it's not good. All right, Bastian asking another question here. He wants to know. 
um, your comments on the judge's conduct. I, if there's one question, Bastion, that keeps popping up every single week when we have Twitter spaces, is people questioning the judge's conduct. Um, Melissa, I hate to put you in this position, but uh, <laughs> uh, your views on the judge's conduct? Okay, first off, when he started the trial, I was happy with the pace compared to the previous judge, Maulel, I think this was going on. There was this witness coming in. But then as the trial proceeded, it was kind of like he did not have much patience with the defense. For example, the defense will be addressing where Gomez will be addressing on the issue of the records. And instead of allowing him to proceed, he'll be poking questions, but he will, he will be giving Ubalo more time. There was there was a time where this case has so many things. There was a time where he asked the defense and the states to prepare to prepare a heads of argument for a certain issue. I can't remember whether it was about a statement that had to be allowed in or it was a statement for Zoom. On Monday, he already had his judgment. What I'm expecting from a judge is this. You will say, okay, guys, there's a statement. We have an issue with the statement. Um, I believe the defense is refusing for this particular statement or evidence allowed in and the, 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 watch, uh, the state. So I need you to address, on, address me on that on Monday. Then the defense and the state will address. He'll probably say, can I postpone it for a day to give a proper judgment? But he was already ready. Whilst, whilst the defense and the states were preparing their arguments, he was preparing his judgment and he already decided so whether the defense was going to say something that is different to what he wanted to you know, judge on, he was never going to listen. So I found that very strange. So there are certain instances where you just feel as if the judge is not as patient and is not as fair as is expected. But uh, at least for now, he, uh, he, he, he didn't allow that uh, record that was made by magistrates to stand in as a confession or as an evidence. So that was one positive I could pick up out of other complaints that we get. So just trying to balance the scales. Right, this is Above the Law, the Senzomero trial. My name is Komoto Modise, the lead reporter for this particular trial for Eyewitness News. Catch me on 702 and um, 947 bulletins, as well as Cape Talk and KFM. If you are in Cape Town, Mangwanya, I see you saying you hope you are not late. You are definitely late. We have come to the end of this week's space, but I do hope that you will um, listen back to the particular uh, podcast around this. I would like to apologize to those of you who have been religious in listening to the podcast. Unfortunately, we are um, going through some challenges and getting them uploaded on our domains. So for now, the podcasts are only on Twitter. And so Mangwanya and others who just joined, Beloved, I see you also just joined. Uh, that's very much unlike you because you are usually on time. Um, we have come to the end of this week's installment. Please remember, every week we are on between four and five. So remember to log in and to catch our spaces as we have more of a conversation around the Sensomayor trial. I appreciate all of your contributions and I love hearing from you. Um, and I hope that you will uh, keep in touch. Remember to follow me. My name is Komoto uh, Mudise. My Twitter handle is at Moto underscore Mudise. So let's engage and converse on there. Our guest this week and analyst this week has been Umelusi Kulu. He is a legal commentator and analyst. Absolutely brilliant. Lovely having you, Melusi. Thank you so much for spending the afternoon with us. Thank you so much. And no worries. We appreciate your contribution. Thank you so much. Catch the recording of Above the Law, the Sensor Mayor Trial. Until next week. Stay safe and let's keep in touch.